Okay, good morning. Isn't this awesome? All the red and black, isn't this awesome? I mean, I had no idea we had this many Falcons fans in the building. That's the only way I can sleep at night, okay? That's what I keep telling myself. This was my idea, so I'm throwing you a bone, you dog fans. And uh, we're going to have fun. We're going to have a lot of fun with this series. Uh, just since we're talking about schools, I'm, I'm wondering, how many of you are, are in your profession today are actually using the, the major or the, what you studied in school, you're actually using that in your job today? I'm just curious. Raise your hand for a second. Okay, a fair number. Uh, and then there's a fair number of us that uh, we went to school for something that we're not using today. And I often wonder, maybe if this is you, you think, man, why did I waste all that time and effort learning calculus and physics to be a pastor? Like, I cry myself to sleep at night sometimes thinking about that. Well, we're going to study something. We're going to major on something in the next 12 weeks that will always return dividends, will always benefit us. If we're going to major on the life of Jesus Christ and watch him from the beginning of his ministry to the resurrection and post-resurrection appearances, we're going to major on him this fall, and we're going to fall for Jesus this fall together, okay? Because I promise you one thing, if you get off track in certain areas of your life, you can most times recover. But if you and I as individuals or if we as a church wander away from Christ and emulating Him and seeking Him and pattering our lives after Him, it's catastrophic. So we're going we're gonna to focus intently on Him in the fall here, and we're going to we're going to be doing messages together in, on Sunday mornings. You've got a sheet in front of you or next to you. It's a layout of the gospel of Mark, and you can take that home. In fact, I want to challenge you to take this home. And if you don't have a plan that you're doing, or even if you do have a plan of reading the Bible, if you would put that on pause for a few months, and each week there's five lessons that you can read a devotion about Christ, and with the preaching and the small group and the, and the devotion that we're going to really intently focus on Christ. And so my challenge to you would be, be here to take notes, to study, and man, the, the life of Christ is going to come alive to you and to me fresh or maybe even for the first time as we do this. So super excited about what we're going to do. And in fact, Jesus gave us a promise. There's a promise that if we'll seek him in this way, there's some pretty cool stuff that happens. This is from John 14, 21. And he says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them. And listen to this, and I'll show myself to them. He's saying, listen, if you will study me and know what I taught and know who I was, and if you will not only listen to those truths, but then begin to obey those truths, I'm going to love you and I'm going to reveal myself to you. How many of you wouldn't love to know God better and more intimately? How many of us wouldn't want us to, for God to reveal himself when we're in a moment of crisis or in a point of decision that we are close and, and intimate with God and he, he's there and reveals himself to us in those moments? That's Jesus' promise as we jump into the scriptures together. So uh, we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. If you want to turn your Bible there, or the, they'll be on the screen. But I want to set the stage because anytime you study a book of the Bible, you'll be well served. In fact, you'll understand the scripture more fully 
if you know a certain few things that kind of put the book in context. So uh, this is a collection of 66 books, and they're written by different people. So you want to know the audience and the author and the setting and the purpose of the book you read. So quickly, we're going to do that as we start the book of Mark. And first thing you need to understand is who wrote the book. The author was John Mark. He's who penned this, this letter. And John Mark, who goes by Mark here in this gospel, he was a traveling companion of Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey in Acts chapters 12 through 15. And he's with them. He has a family crisis and he leaves them. And then when Paul and Barnabas go to do a second missionary journey, they get in an argument over this John Mark. And Barnabas wants to take him with him. And Paul doesn't because he'd abandoned him. He shows up again later in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, and he's hanging out with the apostle Peter. And the best we understand, this is a really solid understanding, is the apostle Peter who walked with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry told Mark what had happened in the life of Christ, and Mark wrote this gospel from the testimony of the apostle Peter. So that's who wrote your book of Mark. And he wrote it to an audience of believers, the church just like us. And they were Gentiles like us, meaning non-Jews. Um, and they, we know that because the, almost every reference that you see in the gospel of Mark that has a Jewish flavor to it, he has to explain it to his, his Gentile audience. He says, this was a prophecy from this prophet. We'll see that in just a second. And so he's explaining the, the Jewish background of the passages. You also need to know the purpose. I mean, why did God inspire Mark? What was it that God wanted to communicate, not only to the believers in that day, but to us today? And the purpose is very simple. Is Jesus the Savior? The question he seeks to answer, is Jesus really the Savior of the world that can impact your life today just like he impacted lives 2,000 years ago? Is he that guy? And if so, what are the implications for our lives? And the gospel is laid out in the first eight or nine chapters. We get to see who Jesus is. He makes a beautiful case that Jesus is the one and only. He is the unique one. There's no one like him. And then it slows down in chapters 11 through 16. Those last six chapters is all about the last week of Jesus' life. And it goes through his teaching and his, and his death and his burial and his resurrection, and it shows us how he became the Savior, okay? So let's strap in together. Let's see how this great book starts, and this is, this is what it looks like. It says this, in the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in, in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now he says, listen, this is a book about Jesus and the good news that he brings and this good news that needs to be shared. But it's interesting, he says that, and then he goes right into this figure who we're going to find out is John the Baptist. All the good Baptists like John the Baptist. Yeah. John the Baptist. He's our guy. 
It starts, it's like Jesus is the whole purpose of this book. And then he says, let's start with John the Baptist. Why? That's so interesting and curious to me. And let me just set the scene. How many of you, several months back at the roundabout there, they started knocking down trees and you started to get excited. You start to think, man, maybe something awesome is coming to Jackson County. Maybe it's not a gas station. Maybe it's going to be, I was like, maybe a Dunkin' Donuts. Lord, a Dunkin' Donuts would be so spiritual. We should have a Dunkin' Donuts. I'd do so much ministry there, I promise. And then my heart broke. I don't know when you first saw the banner that said, coming soon, Dollar General. And I cried, man. That banner was a, was a warning to me, but, uh, but a, a, uh, a, a letting us know that something was coming and building the anticipation that the Dollar General was coming. God is exactly... That is exactly the role of John the Baptist. He is this banner saying the Messiah is coming and you better get ready. Save your dollars and your nickels to go to the dollar store. No, get ready for the Messiah to come. John the Baptist is God screaming out loud that he's on the way. He's the setup guy for the main guy. John the Baptist is the, is the one to come before the Messiah. And so his job is to introduce Jesus and say, listen, don't miss this. God is with a megaphone saying, listen, if um, you need to know that I'm just here to whet your appetite and the main dish is coming and you need to be ready. I don't know about you, but I go to a Mexican restaurant and I can do some damage to some chips and salsa. I mean, a whole basket's not a problem. But after you eat a basket of chips, you start thinking, I need a burrito real bad. So it's only so many chips before you're ready for that enchilada. Jesus is the major enchilada that's coming, baby. And John's just, he's just the chips getting our, our mouths thirsty and hungry for the one that can truly satisfy us. And so he says, I'm starting with John the Baptist. Don't miss it. Jesus is on the way, and you got to know who he is. In fact, this is God's way of introducing Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the one and only to you and I. We got our video ready? This is how Steve Harvey introduced Jesus not that long ago. Check this out. If I had the pleasure of bringing out Christ. This is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He hails out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the 
that so Steve Harry had to do it. When you've got someone that special, they're worthy of a great introduction, are they not? Jesus Christ was worthy of a great introduction, so God sends John the Baptist to prepare the way to introduce him to the world. And it happened just as God predicted. He said it was happening in the book of Isaiah. Everything we just read in those verses was from the book of Isaiah. And he said, I'll send this message ahead of you to prepare your way. One calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that's exactly how it happened 600 years later. God raised up a man who was actually his cousin, John. And he went into the desert and he proclaimed, get yourselves ready for Jesus Christ, the one and only. See, God's introduction of Jesus as the Savior of the world was obvious. It was apparent. There wasn't any misunderstanding. It, it should be clear to us today as it should have been as clear to them in that day. It's obvious that God was saying, listen to my son. But I want you to notice how John the Baptist prepared people for Jesus Christ. It's the same way that we get prepared to receive Christ. It's how we open our lives to Christ. If you want to know how you can more open your lives to the work of God in your lives, it's the same message that John preached is the same one that he's preaching to us today. And this is what he preached. Listen. And so John the Baptist, verse four, he appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now we get all caught up in the baptism and he's dunking people in this river and that's important and we named him John the Baptist and that's all good. But you've got to understand that baptism was symbolic just like our baptism today is symbolic, it's really what happens prior to the baptism that really matters. Don't miss this. His baptism was a baptism of, go back one verse. Baptism of what? Repentance. It's a baptism of repentance. So let's talk about, repentance is this. 
Repentance is a, a change of direction. It's an agreement that you're heading the wrong way and that you've got to change, that you've got to turn, that you've got to admit that there's an omission that you need help. You, it's, it's saying, I'm heading in this direction, and this direction is wrong, and this direction is sinful, and this direction is broken, and I need help to get off this path. And it repentance is say, God, help me. I need help to get off this path and find a new path, to find your path, to find your way, to find your life. Repentance is that turn, that moment where you turn away from your sin, and you turn to Christ. That's what repentance is. And he was preaching this gospel, this, this baptism of repentance. And until you and I get to that place, well, we realize the path that we're on is a dead end, is a broken road, leads to nowhere good. And we turn, we will never trust Christ. Jesus will never mean much to us until we get to that place because you and I will never ask God and Jesus to be our Savior if we don't think we need saving. We will never ask him to rescue us from our sin if we don't think we need rescuing. But that's exactly what repentance is, an admission that I need his help. And can I say this? If you took Christ for any other reason, if you said yes to him, if your mouth said something in terms of affirming Christ, but you didn't do it and you weren't motivated by repentance, then you didn't do it the biblical way. See, you just took your version of Christ, not the true authentic version of Christ. And he comes into our life only after repentance, that desperate realization that he is our only hope. And without him, his, I need his mercy for what I've done wrong. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I need his help in daily life. I need his help for eternal life. That's when Christ becomes real and authentic. So if you became a Christian, or if you consider yourself a Christian, because you walked an aisle, or you prayed a prayer, or you had an emotional experience, or you got saved, or you got baptized, but you don't understand why you did, or you know why you did it, and it wasn't about repentance, then can I tell you that today is the day that repentance needs to be your choice first before you choose faith. A prayer won't save you. Walking down the church aisle won't do it. Uh, you are not saved if you have not repented of your sin and confessed them to God. That's why Jesus came. That's why this gospel of good news starts with the message of repentance because he doesn't want to offer a fake salvation. He doesn't want to offer something that isn't real. He wants you to turn from your sins and turn and trust him and him alone. That's the good news of Christ. But it starts with a bad uh, uh, admission that you're on the wrong path. And that's God's invitation to every single 
person, not just in this room, but think about this. God's invitation to every single person on this planet is if you will simply repent, if you'll turn from your sin and turn to me, that I will give you life. I have good news for you. I have life waiting for you if you'll only turn to me. But that's not all. Check this out. John the Baptist gets thrown into prison. Jesus gets baptized by him, and then he gets thrown into prison. Jesus goes into the wilderness, and for 40 days, he's, he's tempted, and he doesn't eat, and he, and he doesn't sin, and he comes through that. And then the first thing we see Jesus do in verse, uh, verse 14, it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Listen to this. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Listen, repent. And believe the good news. He added the message that John preached was incomplete. He said, repent and get ready. And then Jesus came in. He said, repent and what? Believe. Repent and believe. That's, that is what the good news is. If we will repent from our sin and believe that Jesus is the sole way for God's life and forgiveness, we can have life forever. We can have life forever forever. That's the good news that he proclaims. It's God's invitation to every single one of us. God's invitation for us is to repent and believe. Now, those are two separate choices that can happen simultaneously in an instant. Now, let me try to illustrate. How many of you, um, how many of you like water skiing? What's wrong with you people? I stink at water skiing. That's why I don't like it. I can't stay up. And so I'm up and I'm down. I mean, people hate going water skiing. <laughs> he's up, he's down. And as I, I fall into the water quite often, they get the picture here, okay, that's, that's how I water ski. I'm below the surface quite often, okay. And there's two choices that you make every time you get in trouble water skiing. The first choice is let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. And the second choice is hang on to that life vest and let it bring you back up. Guys, that is what repentance and believing looks like. Those are two separate, distinct choices that can ha happen in a moment where you say, I'm letting go of my lifestyle. I'm letting go of my past. I'm letting go of my sin. I'm letting go of myself. And I'm clinging in faith to Jesus Christ who will bring me above the water and save me from drowning. It's him and him alone. But I've got to let go of the rope. If you don't let go of the rope, it's only going to take you further into the water, but when you cling to Christ, he brings you up into salvation. That's what repentance and belief is all about. And that's what God wants to do for you. It's as simple as this. I need Jesus and I receive Jesus. I need Jesus and I receive Jesus. If you want to know God, if you want to have a relationship with the Father, the Creator, the, the, the one who made you and loves you, it always starts here with Christ. There's no other way around it. You can't avoid this step. You can't get close to God and ignore His Son, Jesus Christ. It starts with Him. God doesn't have anything else to say but Jesus. 
Jesus. It starts with him. It ends with him too, but it certainly starts with him. He is the one and only. He's the Alpha and the Omega. That's the A and the Z. He covers it all. He is the hope of the world. He is the creator of the world. He is the one that is the lover of your soul. He is the one that truly satisfies. That's who Jesus is. And that's what he wants to be to you. Satisfy you like nothing else will. Contentment and peace that this world can't offer. That's what Jesus wants to give to you. My question is, do you know him? Do you know Christ in that way? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Christ and Christ alone? That is his first invitation to every single one of us in this room is that you would know him by letting go of the rope and clinging to him. If you've never made that decision, we're going to give you a chance in here in a moment to receive Christ after you've repented of your sins. But you know, that's not the only invitation Christ gives. That's not the only invitation. But I can tell you, I have met so many people that their story with God and with Christ stops right there. They say yes to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but there's nothing else after that. There's no more to the story, and they're missing out on the rest of what Jesus is offering, the rest of the invitation. So that's why Jesus continues in the next verse. And it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who is Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And listen to this invitation. He says, come, follow me. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. It was an invitation that was so much more than what I can give you. Now I'm going to invite you to give something back. Now I'm going to invite you to make a conscious choice day after day after day to follow me. And it says this, at once they left their nets and they followed him. See, God loves you so much, regardless of your past and your background and your sin and your habits and your problems and your doubts and your fears. He'll meet you right where you are, and he offers you forgiveness and mercy and heaven and a relationship because he loves you right where you are. But he loves you so much, he won't let you stay there. He loves you so much, he won't let you get kicked around by sin. He wants to rescue you from the power of sin in your life today. He loves you so much, he wants to change everything about you inside out. You're not the same person you used to be, and you look more and more like him because you said yes to following him. And he goes to change you. And you, you're not the same in your morality. You don't make the same choices you used to make. You're different in your attitude. There is a positivity and a love that exudes you. You're changed in your habits, and God breaks the power of habits and destructive patterns in our lives. He breaks them in the name of Christ. He brings compassion and mercy and love and the ability to forgive. He gives that as we learn to follow him. And so Jesus' invitation is to come, follow me. 
to become like him. Listen to this. To stop, change, to stop chasing your version of the good life and start chasing after Jesus, the giver of life. I'm going to say that again. He wants you to stop chasing after your version of the good life and start chasing after him, the giver of life. You want a great life. Follow Jesus Christ. Is it going to be an easy story? No. Is it going to have problems, Adam? Absolutely. But he'll give you life like nothing else can. In this invitation, it isn't cut into pieces like, I'll follow him, but I don't want him to change me. Uh uh-uh. uh. It isn't cut into pieces like, I want to follow him, but I'm not sure about going and telling other people. Uh uh-uh. uh. He said, Come follow me, and I'm sending you out to fish for people. It's all encompassing, it's one decision, it's the same decision. It gets into every little crevice of your life, every little hidden thing you don't want God to get into. He soaks down into, and he gets in between all that, and he goes to work in that, and he roots out every ugly, gross thing in my life and in your life. When we say, yes, I'll follow you. God's invitation to every single one of us in this room today is follow me, follow me, become like me, fish for me, do it, don't hold back, give everything you've got to me. And when we do that, Jesus becomes the leader of our lives. He becomes the leader of our lives. We don't lead, he leads. We don't choose, he chooses. We don't say yes, he says yes. We don't say no, he says no. He becomes the leader of our life and we commit to a lifelong pursuit of knowing him and him changing us and him giving us the power to tell others about him. I mean, this is as big a decision as that first invitation. It's huge. See, that first invitation to repent and believe will change your eternal life. But this decision to have Jesus lead you will change the rest of your life in this earth. It will change the way you live the rest of your days here. Best illustration I could give you is this. Can we all agree that planets revolve and the sun and the planets are like revolving around each other? There's like a, there's a new thing where people are talking about a flat earth. You can forget those people. They need a globe, and they need to get on a plane and travel the planet one time. Okay, so we can all agree it's round, and there's, right, we can just agree on that? Okay. Well, you know, for hundreds, or, hundreds and hundreds of years, they thought that the earth was the center of our galaxy, and the sun and the planets revolved around the earth, and the earth was the center, and the earth was most important, and the earth was where it was at, that we were the top dog. And then in the 1500s, Copernicus came along, and he said, no, 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 no. The sun is the center The sun is the top dog. The sun is what everything else in this galaxy is spinning around. The sun is where it's at. The sun is most important. Guys, when we shift and accept this invitation to follow Christ, that is exactly what happens. Instead of me being the center of my life, he becomes the center of my life. 
And the questions go from how does how can God, how can he serve my purposes? The question becomes, how can I serve his purposes? How can God fit into my agenda? It becomes how can I fit into God's agenda? What can God do for me becomes what can I do for him? And the shift that takes place in your heart and in your life is pronounced. It's life-changing. And when Jesus approached dirty, stinky fishermen, and he says, guys, it's your time, it's your choice, this is the one invitation, will you follow me? They left their nets, and they followed him. They left it all behind. My question to you is, what do you have to leave behind to follow Jesus Christ? Whatever it is, leave it. Leave your pride behind. Leave the desire to be right behind. Leave having it your way behind and decide it's worth following Christ. Don't let anything keep you from his invitations. He wants you to know him and have a relationship with him and his invitation is repent and believe. And his invitation is to follow him. Let your life revolve around his. Leave your nets. Leave your fears. Leave your anxieties. Leave your self-serving ways and follow Jesus Christ and he'll make you new every day. Let's pray together. God, these are life-changing invitations you've offered. These are life-changing invitations that are on the table today. And God, I fear that we have preached a cheap gospel, that we've heard a cheap gospel, that we don't have to repent to know God, that we don't have to uh, admit our sin in order to know Christ. God, that is untrue and it's a lie. And God, my fear is there's someone in this room today that has never repented of their sin and accepted Jesus Christ today. Your invitation to them is repent and believe. And if that's your desire today, right now, I want you to raise your hand and say, today I'm choosing to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as not just the Savior of the world, but my Savior today. Raise your hand if that's your choice. Thank you, God. Pray with me with your hand raised. Say it to God. Say, God, I'm so sorry. I confess my sin to you today. I'm wrong. But I believe that Jesus Christ, that you are the Son of God. I believe you're the Savior of the world, and I put my faith in you. And God, we rejoice that you answered that prayer already that you've come into their life by faith, and now they can't get rid of you, that you're in them and you're with them, and forevermore, that they are yours, they are your children. We praise you. You can put your hand down. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving you today. And Father, for the rest of us, somehow or another, we get everything revolving around us, and that's not what it means to follow you. So God, we need to repent of that. 
May we need to come down and pray before this stage and ask your forgiveness and declare you the leader of our lives again. Or maybe you want to come and talk or pray with one of our counselors up here at the front and just let them know that you want their prayer and support, that you're, you're changing the direction of your life, that it's no longer about you, but you're going to live for the one who died and rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. If that's your decision, just cry out and say, God, it's not about me. Now it's about you. Take the center place in my life. Take the center place in my life today. Take it this afternoon. God, you have the, the authority in my life when I wake up tomorrow. This is not my life. It's now yours. Tell them that. And God, will give you the thanks and the praise for the lives you've changed in here today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>